0: out with money so my question is it, this is where they're getting most of their money they're not getting most of their money in that three billion dollars the esg the and esg is the climate control it's a whole industry so i guess that brings me to my next question and that is we all know that the or many of us know and the ones that don't i guess will know now Know that the real controllers of the UN, and you can go to unpri.org, which is United Na- Nations Principle of uh, Responsible Investment. Um, the largest institutional investors in the world your BlackRock's, your Charles Schwab's, your Rothschild's, uh, your uh, SSGA State Street. Those corporations that control that manage roughly the the entire world's assets, they're called asset managers. Now, they're only about one and a half to three billion dollar companies themselves. However, they control all the assets of all these major corporations. If you're paying into a stock, if you have Treasury bills, if you have anything that's an investable instrument that you invest in, you are paying into this system and you don't even know it. And they control this money. And so the way that they control the corporations is they go to the corporation and they buy up. One company will buy 2%, another company will buy 8%, another one will buy 10% until they collectively buy up about 20 percent seems to be the the lucky number because at that point they have enough control over the voting shares that they can fire the board of directors then they start implementing their system deep within the company and it normally starts with the human resource anybody remember being told years ago up until now hey don't put your stuff out there on social media because if HR sees that, you could get fired, or you might not get hired for a job. This is all coming from the UN indirectly, but it's coming through this extortion and blackmail system. So if you're wondering where the wokeness comes from and why certain people are using the word wokeness and the left hates it or the liberal hates it, that's why, because they've been exposed. Donald Trump went against it. He was one of the first ones. That's why he doesn't like the Paris Accords. The Paris Accords back is really where all this started and where it was backed up. Then you have the, uh, then you have DeSantis with Florida. He backed it up. Elon Musk, the very platform that we're on right now, they came after him. He had the most carbon friendly company out there, and when he bought Twitter. They knew what he was going to do, and that was give the the masses a platform to expose their their evil, and that's exactly what he did. And now they've gone after him. They want nothing more to put him out of business as far as this this company goes. So anyway, I'll digress. Give the floor back to to you, Ali, and and you know the host and the co-host. Thank y'all very much for letting me put that out there. I can I can just. Uh had I can give you a piece
1: of information where you can find more of such information and there is a a division of the UN that's called the UN compact um, look look into that UN compact is the one that the division that works with the businesses and internally work on those policies that you mentioned so, Do look into UN Compact and you will find more and more
0: uh, things to support your argument. Absolutely, I will do that. Thank you so much for all your information.
2: That was awesome. That was um, good perspective and good um, questions. But you know what I just realized? Darn, we gave more money to Ukraine. We just gave them more money than the UN took in in a year. I find that a little bit egregious at, at this point as, as a nation that has infrastructure that has collapsed, um, you know, homeless people on the streets, roads that are a hot mess, you know, a president that can't even tie his shoe or at least walk up the steps without tripping, you know, have making decisions. And, you know, the UN, you know, is, is, is sitting on the sidelines to do what? You know, uh, and that's the thing. The UN hasn't served the purpose that they allege they serve. And then the ideas that they put forward are completely antagonistic or against, you know, beliefs of many nations. You know, in the United States, we don't agree that we should walk on eggshells. We don't agree that we need to be using specific words when speaking or... Um, you know, alter definitions. In the United States, you know, that is the ideology. In other nations, you know, uh, they don't want Western laws. They want to stay to their laws. You know, we we have that in places that wish to embrace Sharia law, and they should have every right to do so in their nation. We should not be superimposing. Uh, But the curiosity, and I have this question, You know, now that the UN is migrating the majority of their businesses and have, along with Interpol, to South Africa, it's a little bit mind boggling because considering that the UN would like a position to do all these things that they're saying they're doing, why wouldn't they go somewhere more centralized, like the Congo, that has been more urbanized and um, has that position? Uh, you know, I'm not saying that South Africa isn't urbanized, by gosh, I think it's one of the most, you know, advanced nations on the African continent, but why is everyone moving to South Africa when in, in coming with some um, global organizations, I would say, such as the United Nations?
1: Well, um, this is my personal opinion, what I'm going to say, and it has nothing to do with what I do or my employer or anything. South Africa has many loose laws where you can do a lot of shady things and they will those things are illegal in many civilized countries. And South Africa has very different loose laws and uh, and they have a lot of money to spend on it, I think, because when the UN or any international organization goes and open their headquarters in that country, it depends on how much money host country is willing to spend on that project, and that's how South Africa is uh, is spending a lot of money, agreeing to host the whole organization, the budget, the the you know the. Um, employments and everything, that's why, uh, in my opinion, that's why they're playing there because that's I know that's how things work.
2: Yeah, no, that's a fair assessment. But, you know, also in South Africa, we know that, you know, three decades ago, China started in, you know, penetrating the African continent. And that would mean that China would make many concessions for the UN, but considering that the UN doesn't have China on any specific boards and, you know, allegedly they have no say in anything, how would China make such a big concession when they're the ones that pretty much created The South Africa we see today, you know, they own most of the ports in African nations, South Africa was one of the first places they penetrated, you know, this was a dark continent, that is the nickname of Africa, because no one seemed to invest in infrastructure for power and telephony and communications, but the Chinese did. So, you know, uh, considering the way the Chinese strategize when um, taking in investments. They come in as alleged angel investors, you know, to uh, bail people out of IMF debt or whatever. But here in South Africa, they have a very solid foot and almost everything in most African nations ...have been built and are controlled by the Chinese. So, yes, they may have a lot of money to spend, but then why would the Chinese allow it if the Chinese don't have a voice in the UN? Which means, you know, that would tell me, hey, maybe the Chinese have a bigger foot in the UN than the world is really telling us. Because we know they pretty much own the World Food Program. So... Uh, you know, this is the, 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 the crux of it. Why would the Chinese allow the UN to move their majority of the operations to South Africa and simultaneously have the European Council and Interpol make a move like that? I mean, it just, it doesn't make geographical, geopolitical sense. If you have any insight to that, that would be fantastic. Of course.
1: Of course. I mean, I, I am very much critical to the Chinese invasion. I would call it Chinese mafia, thing. Um, and uh, of course, I get in trouble for saying such things, but I'm uh, very much open of my views and thoughts within the organization and out of the organization. So Chinese have a very much specific modus operandi of doing things, and it's their private banking thing that they have. As you mentioned, that I, there's IMF World Bank that gives people loan, and then there's a different thing. There is a more dangerous thing than that is called the Chinese loan. China gives loan to any country that would ask. And if you want some other country won $4 billion, they would give that in one week. And there is 20% of the interest rate on that. If you are fail to give that money in a specific time with the interest, then you have to sell them the land of your country. You have to give a land of your country of that value to them. That's how they are doing all of these things. Uh, you were talking about South Africa. Nigeria is the one that has, they lost all their seaports by the hands of Chinese. All the seaports of Nigeria and many other African countries are now under the direct ownership. I'm saying, I'm using the word ownership. They are under the direct ownership of China because China gave them the money. They couldn't give them money back on time. And they signed this contract already. Like if you're not giving me money back or by this time, I'm gonna take this from you. That's what's happening. That's how China is controlling uh, half of the Africa and the countries that they give money to. The similar situation is with the Pakistan. Half of Pakistan's seaports are controlled by China, and they're using it for whatever the purpose is. And they're doing so much business and building so many things within there. And that's how they're controlling many countries that are the member of United Nations. That's that's how they do. They give the money. They ask you to give 20% interest at a specific time. You're not able to give that money back. You will give them your land. That's how they control things. Well,
2: yeah, because a lot of European nations lost their ports. Like Greece, you know, has Piraeus port, but the Chinese are profiting off of it. And, you know, it brings the question, you know, which one's the bigger financial bully, the IMF or China, right? China is a business deal. It's kind of like you saying, hey, you know, uh, you've got this, you know, park, right? And it looks like horrible. Here's what we're going to do. I'll give you the money to build it. In fact, I will build it, but I will take royalties from it, right? Until you pay me that loan back. And if you don't pay it back after a certain period of time, I get to take it. That's an actual loan. That's legit a loan. But. Do the citizens know the stipulations of the loan? Do they have this? No. There's no transparency in the way the governments actually enact when they take these monies. And it seems as if, you know, because we're, we're, we're printing this money like crazy, um, people are bleeding. I mean, the debt that the United States has to China is insane, right? Our debt is way too high to be considered even a superpower. Like, if I was to look at this, say I was never on this planet ever. And I was looking at just the numbers. I would say that America is one of the poorest nations. Yet it produces for the whole world. It's like we're constantly getting the short end of the stick. And you know, while the UN would have been a fantastic idea, it has progressed to an idea of, you know, controlling it as one one nation under one banner. And and that's a big problem. I remember when I was younger and I was observing the merging of, you know, nations in Europe to become part of the European uh, European Union, right? And this was them forfeiting their own sovereign currencies to do so. And I thought to myself, well, this would kind of make sense because these nations have eons of history together. Almost if you were to create a, a, a united Asia, right? Pakistan and in India they fight. Tajikistan, Afghanistan, Azerbaijan, all of them, right? But if they all actually came together, they have a lot of commonalities, they have a long history, and you would assume it would work. In fact, that's the biggest mistake people would make, because you cannot superimpose changes on other nations for the sake of the economy, because independently you would have an economy. For example, Peru very, uh, very large piece of land, right? It's uh, about the size of Syria, Lebanon, and Iraq, right? Or just, you know, short form, Germany and France. That's the size of Peru. Their um, military is low, their natural resources are high, and their population is low. That means they are a vulnerable nation to be preyed upon, right? And this is another problem that we have, that there are predatory loans, like you expressed with the Chinese. But my question again lies, if South Africa has all this money, also has all this debt to China, why would China allow the United Nations to establish their whole headquarters in South Africa, if that's the case? Because according to the UN, China's no good. China can't be in here, but China runs the World Economic um, uh, World Food Program. They're in charge of that. And we know this because we have the Hunter Biden laptop. And you know, I, I, we all know for a fact that they created almost all the infrastructure in South Africa. And this is why they're part of the BRICS money system. So why would China and Russia allow the United Nations to move to South Africa if the United Nations, you know, give hardly any seats to Russia and any seats to China on anything? It, it seems like they're really in but everyone's pretending they're not. And, and and this is how it comes off. I mean, it doesn't make sense. It makes no business sense for the Chinese to have the UN headquarters in South Africa unless it's spying. But, you know, we're in the quantum age. Regardless of what your average citizen thinks, people that actually understand geopolitics and how technology has actually evolved, you know, we can't have an anti for quantum if there isn't. So that is the key question. What is the new role of the United Nations and why would they move to South Africa, because there's no way China would let them. That is, that is the
3: million-dollar question right
1: there. I, I, I don't know which exactly division's headquarter is moving in South Africa. Um, I know that UN's largest uh, headquarter in Africa is in Nairobi, Kenya. That is one of the largest headquarters, as UN have four headquarters. Uh, main one is in New York. Um, the second headquarter of the human rights, that's in Geneva, Switzerland. Then uh, the one that deals with education and technology, that's in Vienna. And the headquarter that deals with the issues of environment and cities is in Nairobi. So uh, I'm, I'm not exactly sure which division's headquarter you are talking about is going in South
2: Africa. Um well, it's the majority of them. So did Interpol, and that's the question. I'm I'm, I'm very, you know, I'm, I'm baffled because, it, it, you know, if you look at it from an objective perspective as is something that is a good thing for the people, I would kind of, you know, be like, well, this doesn't make sense. Why are we trying to do this? So, they, you know, that's the thing. But where do you see the UN going, considering that nobody wants these 15-minute cities? Nobody wants you know, any of this, you know, climate money that's being bled everywhere? I mean, what is the ultimate goal? Um, I think
1: if, if the UN continue doing what it does, continue um, uh, going on the same agenda that they're working on, they won't last next five years. Because countries, um, I would say that Donald Trump has the best foreign policy ever in the recent years that anyone had, and uh, he treated UN the way I think UN was supposed to or deserve to be treated as. He has the best uh, foreign policy and best policy for the UN period. No, there is no second argument on that. And that I personally believe and many people in the UN believe that, that uh, he was right to do that, to show UN what you're actually doing. Um, and uh, many of us are supporting his views. Uh, I I am actually... Uh, apart from my affiliation with the UN and everything i'm a fanboy of Donald Trump because of his excellent excellent foreign policies and uh, so he did the right thing and if UN continue doing the same thing he will UN will not operate in the next 5 years and uh, i have this uh, honor and a chance to have a, a 10 minute chat with Donald Trump at the UN and uh, we had this chat at the journal assembly session in 2019 and uh, very he was uh, speaking on the climate change thing and after that we had a chat and he said this to me what i'm telling you that if u.n continues doing all these things what they're doing is they're not gonna last uh, till 2030 and that's what i also believe in if u.n continue doing this what they are doing following the same policies that they are following or keep working under the same structure um, and being elitist organization. Uh, They won't survive. They won't survive for long because there are people who are waking up, there are people who are talking. You may see either some other sort of a global organization or a massive change in the UN policies.
2: Yeah, no, I've seen it. There's a lot more NGOs You know, that are sprouting up all over the United States, actually, that are trying to take a more middle approach. But the policies are the same, the same structure that the U.N. is pushing. Like they have like these organizations like Breathe, you know, we want clean air or water organizations like there's so many of them, uh, you know, boasting on the fact that, you know, we can get a more compressed society with more technology, and more safety, with more surveillance, and it all bows back to that. It starts off as a more centrist approach, and then pings back to that. And I I have been observing for the past decade, these, you know, NGOs, and, you know, factions, I guess, affinity groups, as you would say, right? Um, You know, coming together with the same core principles, but packaging them in a different, you know, present box, like they're presenting it with a pink bow <laughs> rather than an orange one. And then when you open it up, it's the same thing inside. And and, and that's, you know, highly concerning because the United States has spent a lot of money um, to the U.S. Oops, hoping that there's some, you know, advancement. And, you know, in Nairobi, uh, where they're situated, you know, there are so many uh, issues that arise there. Kenya, it was more, you know, for set up for the refugees, you know, where they were cooperating with things like, you know, Lutheran social services, international and all of that to rehouse people in nations that didn't want to rehouse anyone. And so, you know, it's, it's like you said, if they continue the way they do, they won't exist. Um, because you know, regardless, we're already aware that our nation is apparently going to war in 2025. They've already said this in writing. So if we're already going to war in 2025, what is the UN trying to do to avoid this? You know, if if you know that is their sole purpose of calling these general assemblies, because I didn't see any general assembly being called out to sanction Joe Biden for blowing up the Nord Stream pipeline. Right. I didn't see any sanctions for Zelensky violating the Minsk Agreement. Right, I didn't see any sanctions, and now we're clearly headed out to war. Right after Taiwan's 2024 election, we're at war. So, what do you know? How do we? How does the UN play a role in this? And why are we paying them when we should be preparing for war, as we are?
1: Well, UN, as I say that, if something. UK or United States want to do it, they will do it because they control the uh, veto votes and they control the Security Council. General Assembly, what they can do is condemn and just condemn or would say that there should be sanctions. And when this, that same resolution for the final implementation will go to Security Council and Security Council will veto it and it will be in a trash can. So if there's a war coming and uh, five major powers, any of them want to fight that war, they will fight it because they control everything in the UN and in the order that the UN has designed. So it's definitely UN, what they can do is just condemn and look fancy. That's it. They can just condemn all war is bad. They should not have the war. And we condemn with the resolution in the General Assembly but the shots are being called at the Security Council, and Security Council is everything. And as I say, that uh, if same structure exists, nothing can be done. Nothing at all.
3: Mm.
2: Well, I want to, like, change topic from geopolitics, but I don't want to steal away if anybody wants to ask a question on geopolitics so we don't kind of jump back and forth between topics. I wanted to go into, like, more the the, you know, Um, World Health Organization how the UN oversees them but um, maybe someone has a geopolitics question
4: Um, okay so not really a geopolitics um, question but it something you said there as far as you know China infiltrating and then when you can't pay your debts back you know they take your land Uh, this was something that I was talking about prior to you getting on Tory was um You know, this Bank of North Dakota thing, House Bill 1199 passed, and the governor already signed it. There's been two bills, right? And um, so now the Bank of North Dakota is funding, like fronting the money from the federal government's promises from the CARES Act that they're not going to be able to fulfill because we're going in, you know, we're in a recession and possibly the D word. And so, um, and then during the last uh, special... Session, they actually allocated $2 million to pay for the interest. And I'm like, yeah, so you knew this was going to happen. So, my question here is since the Bank of North Dakota is not backed by the FDIC, it doesn't have to follow FEC um, guidelines by the federal government, what happens when? we can't pay this loan back to the Bank of North Dakota, being that all of the farmers get their loans from this bank, too. That's why this bank was first, you know, propped up, like, and and knowing that Burgum owes all of this money to China.
2: And that's where I was going to go with it, too, um, Brianna. The the whole thing is, you know, China gave him a big loan to buy half of Fargo, and it was fronted by an investment firm. And now you have the Chinese It a problem with the Bank of North Dakota, which is, something, you know, it's one of the biggest washing machines I've seen, you know, for money. Like, it is, it is pure insanity, because the amount of money that goes in there is actually off the books in regards to the Federal Reserve. The Bank of North Dakota, being the only state-run bank, does not have to abide by Federal Reserve rules. And if you noticed, most of the people that have run the state, either as governors or senators like Hovind for example, have sat on boards of, <clears throat> or ran the Bank of North Dakota. So we obviously owe money to the Chinese, is what I would say. So how do we fix that? I mean, North Dakota themselves, they can come out and say something. Remember the legacy fund? They have how many tens of millions of dollars in there? So what is that? Dude,
4: no, they they just fucking... Okay, so that's why I decided to be a North Dakota economic developer, because I was told that... The North Dakota Economic Developers—it's a stupid membership fee, like two hundred bucks, whatever—that we would get a vote in where these legacy funds went. Well, due to COVID, they didn't allow those uh, votes to happen, and now, from what I remember, um, they just like took the money and decided to fund something in the general fund. And like, I'm—I don't know—I'm so—I know—I know.
2: No, but, you know, when 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 Ali discussed how the Chinese do the loans, that's exactly what the governor has been facing in that sense. But obviously, he's best friends with Bill Gates and created all these contact tracing things. So, um, you know, that may not be the case. Maybe it was a quid pro quo, lend me and you'll get land or I'll allow you to, you know, I mean, look at Fargo post COVID. Right. How many Chinese scientists were there?
0: Oh my gosh! I remember yeah. being
2: there. I remember being there, and I was like, "What the heck? I didn't know Fargo had Chinatown." And so it was—it was a little bit concerning for me. I think I—I I actually met up with Chris Berg, and we had coffee because I was passing through, and I was just like, "What is going?" Oh yeah, that's right. I was flying to North Dakota to pick up my handgun so I can fly back with it. That's it. <clears throat> so, you know, because I didn't want my kids traveling with my weapons, right? you have to have everything you know And I remember telling him like what's going on? like this whole hotel is booked out and you know I feel like a minority here because you know I'm not talking Chinese. And it was a shock to the system to see that. So you know um, does anybody want to ask an geopolitical question or can we like shift to the who? Am I supposed to see little hands? I don't see any little hands. Yeah, no, yes. you're good. I okay. going to say, going right. once, going twice. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Ali, so here's my question to you. So the WHO has taken a position of being the center for information <clears throat> in regards to health for the whole world. And right now, this president is actually strongly entertaining, if not has already executed on paper, Uh, sacrificing our sovereignty over our health decisions as a nation, to the World Health Organization, which is an organization that is dictating policies that make no sense. And just so you understand, Ali, I actually have a degree in molecular and cellular biology, and I do understand, and I actually went to medical school, not a medical doctor, right? And I I seem to understand that none of the things that happened in regards to uh, the way COVID was done, was done correctly. And I say this because we, you know, a lot of people misconstrue um, and people that knew that something was wrong with this vaccine, as this is a mass experiment that was, you know, being pushed on the people as something, you know, that was completely safe, which we all know is not. And so, You know, we have the who playing a role within the U.N. Where's the U.N. taking check on this? Because prior to President Trump saying warp speed, which he did for national security reasons, because prior to, you know, the 2020, suddenly everybody has COVID and it and, you know, lock yourselves in your house because after 10 o'clock, it's dangerous to go out as if COVID grows at night, which was the most insane thing I had ever heard. Right. Most insane thing. And people complied. The, the question here lies is President Trump pushed this warp speed thing to get ahead of the fact that China had already deployed tests in India and tests over one million Indians right in India testing a vaccine on them <clears throat> for covid. And they were starting to market it to South America and other places. So this is where, you know, I'm a little bit baffled. President Trump dumped a lot of money to make sure that things came from a more controlled perspective because no nation wants to forfeit the sovereignty of, and, and, and risk the health of their people. I mean, we've seen history books, right? Yeah, we're not barbarians. We're not riding on camels, horses, and elephants. And, you know, right now there's not many soldiers that would be okay, except for a few American ones, specifically the Marines, that would be okay with close and proximal combat. Right. So our combat now is extremely civilized. Therefore, you know, for me, if I was the president of America, I'd be like, no, there's no way I'm taking anything made in any other country. Because what if you guys flip and you want to kill all my people? That's not happening. And this is why he did warp speed. And on top of that, here's where my problem is. The WHO already knew that remdesivir, right, was lethal. Because the Chinese and, you know, there's documentation at the CDC. The Chinese terminated the study in early 2020 because people that were infected with the alleged COVID from the Indian population that they were testing, right, were dying because they were giving over indesivir. But yet that. Protocol that the WHO had put out of using it knowingly that the Chinese had already tested it on a million people and it is documented, still enforced, pushed it on every single nation to be using remdesivir, And in the United States, the CDC was hands down doing that. They would not look at alternative remedies. They wouldn't look at, you know, things that we knew, you know, from a variety of research, uh, you know, investigating HIV. We already knew the um, properties of hydroxychloroquine against viral agents. And I know this for a fact because I sat down next to the Latino epidemiologists that discovered this way before COVID. We shared a desk for a whole year doing, uh, you know, New England Journal of Medicine puzzles in med school. So I sat right next to the guy who had discovered over correlating malaria patients and HIV to see the contract, you know, the how, how high the rates were for contraction of HIV, which, you know, for me, my question to him is how do you find volunteers to go have sex with HIV-positive prostitutes unprotected. I mean, I still don't get that. But apparently when the, the, the person who had malaria, right, that participated in the experiment that was taking hydroxychloroquine, when they engaged in sexual acts with someone with HIV, they would not contract HIV. So there is bona fide evidence from, and this is from 2009, that this had been discovered. So if they knew that hydroxychloroquine had antiviral or, you know, helped in a viral contractions, right, why were they condemning it and why did they taint the Lancet Journal? I mean, who did this and I, what does the U.N. say about this? Because I haven't heard the U.N., condemn anything like this this is this is a crime against humanity if you know that this is deadly why are you applying it if you know that this is a remedy why are you saying it's not uh, so sorry end of rant
1: well in my personal opinion covid-19 because when covid happened we were all told to report to world health organization so we abandoned our regular things that we were doing, and we got engaged, all of us, with the World Health Organization. My niche was working with youth, advocacy, social media, taking the message out, and reaching out people in the remoter areas of the world. So I was busy doing that while I was doing that, of course, we talk to so many people, so many things. You will see here, many documents will come in front of you. I would say that COVID nineteen is the biggest human conspiracy of last two hundred years. It is, it's the biggest human conspiracy and scam done, done with the human race in today's world. People don't know that. People may not know for 10 or 20 years, maybe after 10 or 20 years when things will come out and they will realize that it was a scam and a global conspiracy. Well, from the perspective of World Health Organization and the United Nations, World Health Organization acts as an independent body because they have their own uh, uh, director and secretary general and they do things uh, on their own and they were backed by the powerful dormants they were behind the back backed by during the covid they were taking information exchanging information with china and not on the front because of course we know what's the role of uh, the covid 19 and china so they were not on the forefront but they were exchanging information and they knew like w- what's happening As per another undeclared, uh, I mean, some confidential sources, there were millions of people who were died uh, in those experiments in China. In China, I'm not talking about India or any other country where they did the experiments by sending, uh, saying that it's a free vaccine or giving people money to do this test on innocent people. Uh, There were millions of deaths just because of that and the source is undeclared but there were a few reports and uh, you can't find those reports on internet anywhere anymore but those reports were available on the internet when they say that that millions of people died and then few investigative journalists that i know in person actually traveled to india and brazil because the experiment you're talking about that took place in china in india sorry that was not only in india It was in Brazil as
2: well. Exactly, and And that's why President Trump did the Operation Warp Speed, because he saw that they were in Brazil marketing it and and, and doing the test. And you know, the Delta variant was sprung out from India because of the original test. And that's why people were just dead standing up, you know, uh, directly. And it targeted specific genetic pools of human beings, too, which felt extremely targeted.
1: Yes, and you you will see more of the variants coming out and maybe upcoming here because it's now a business. And uh, they would make more money out of it. There are many variants that are already ready in the labs. And uh, in the labs of South Africa as well, let me tell you that as well. And they would come out anytime. New vaccine, new business model, new money, and new model to scare people. Yeah, But that's what's going on and uh, pretty much... A lot of people are aware of the fact, but that's an uh, you know agent of uh, chaos. That's and this is an agent of chaos, and it worked really well in con- controlling the the global population and the global order. So that's what's going on. UN uh, and UN's uh, member states, many of them know, then they're part of this uh, thing that's whatever is going on. So I really is don't there any
3: have... chance for
2: reform, though? Because, you know, the United Nations is supposed to be bringing nations together. This is what they allege, right? But they're embracing these woke policies of open societies, you know, and, you know, high digital, and these, you know, mentalities of quelling the public and having more control. And and that for anyone is is a problem even though they have been very successful in this open border policy you know i don't see anyone taking any of these you know migrants that are coming in everywhere you know into their homes because these are nations like italy greece they were destroyed with the with the whole waves of migration that the UN promoted you know and well, Libya has been destroyed you know general Haftar of Libya is fully capable of running the nation yet for some reason the UN is holding on to Tripoli as the official government That doesn't coincide with the Libyans. And and here begs the question, like, what is the actual role of the U.N.? Because it seems that they have a security council, but the crown and the United States can say, well, I don't care what everybody says. We're just going to do whatever we want. You know, and that doesn't sound right. right? Well, there is a solution. There
1: There, there, there is a solution, and that's reelect Donald Trump or someone like him that's the only solution because uh, i think because a leader like him who have the uh, approach and who's was more practical in doing things um he was very practical his actions were really practical and uh, he were doing great things and uh, i think if you need a leadership like that that leadership that knows what the problem is and how to take action you don't go into talks and be all fancy be all diplomatic sometimes you really need a direct approach And you need to shut down certain things. And if you have the next president of the United States, either Donald Trump or someone like him, who have this direct approach. And when that person comes into power, then definitely have the power to reform so many things at the U.N. Well, why
2: didn't they embrace him when they had him? Why didn't they embrace him? See, if they would have embraced the ideology of directness and, you know, standing firm in our sovereignty, but working together as partners, you know, um, you know, creating better trade networks and not this free trade, which is not really free, right? But actually creating legit networks because what the EU tried with their stupid Delors packets destroyed the agricultural economy in Europe. Right. They destroyed it by trying to control the fisheries and what states member states of the EU were doing. So, yes, Donald Trump speaks common sense. Yes. He was very direct. Yes. And he is a very strong businessman. I know from friends that work in the U.N., some of them are ambassadors. Right. They know people trembled and they all agreed. But the thing is, no one publicly stood. To say, yes, you know, we need a little bit more of this, because then people would take the U.N. a little bit more seriously and say, hey, we don't want these woke policies. Let's all reform. If we want to have some place at the table where we have all our leaders sit around and chit chat, you know, and have these conversations, which would be ideal. Right. To, to have people talk. We are civilized. You know, we just cyber war each other. Or nuke each other now, right? There's just polar extremes now. So why not have this place where we can all sit at a table and and throw shoes at each other and tell each other what we want rather than play these games and have someone that actually took the leadership like Donald Trump to point out the deficiencies and the waste of money and resources? Why didn't they embrace him? Why didn't they applaud him?
1: I think because uh, there, there was one thing that led with Donald Trump was, I think, lack of good team, that he did not have the good team that can support his mission at the UN. And uh, because Donald Trump speaks the language of common man, he makes sense to a lot of people around the world. What is he speaking a language of a common man? He's talking about the problems of a common man, any of the direct solutions. But the U.N. is the place where they are more diplomats. They have fancy word for everything and they know how to delay things. They use delay tactics and everything. If Donald Trump had the good ambassadors for the United Nations who had more radical approach, or I would say direct approach, and they would have maneuvered things uh, on his ideology, on his agenda, then the things would have been really different at the UN. So if someone comes in next time and uh, with that approach need a really good ambassador who would do all the work and would make these policies work. Implementation of the policy is really important. Really important. I think he lacked the good advisors. He he do not have the good advisors at the UN. Uh, Absolutely not because his... His things were perfect, fantastic. There were no wars while he was the president. There was no global chaos going on at the time. And uh, everything was working fine. The business was doing good. Every Everyone, I would say, this, was pretty fine. Uh, so his governance was excellent, but he lacked good advisors at the UN. So you really needed good advisors who would make his agenda known to other people. That's how things work uh, at the UN. Like, hey, my president had this policy where you think about that, let's talk about that. You needed diplomacy, you needed conversations with those people to make them understand and actually vote in favor of such things. That's what happened that he got ambushed by the people who do not agree with him. Because let's just say that he's, he's speaking for common men in the nest of the elites. He was speaking for the common men. He was speaking in the language of common men. He was not speaking in the language of diplomacy or the UN. So what do you think? Elites won't like that. Definitely not, because I would say the same things. Like, you know, if uh, a person is speaking for the common men in the language of the common men, elites will not like that. That's why he got ambushed, and they did not embrace his policies at the time. Now many people are talking in the same way as I'm talking in the system of the United Nations and other organizations like uh, uh, European Union and uh, different SARC unions. So that's now, now they miss him, now they miss his policies. That's the natural karma, now they miss his policies. They talk about his policies because he exposed a lot of things. So if someone of, uh, he or someone else comes in who have the same ideology next time, we need a really good ambassador who knows how to make these policies work in the UN. And if those policies working in the UN, then you will see the global order working in a right way. It's a mm. lot of work.
2: No, it is a lot of work, but I think that ship has sailed now. Because right now, the problem that the UN has is that they see that everything is falling apart because they went in contrast to what people were saying. And it seems almost like that ship has sailed. It, it, it almost seems like there's no going back. Because even if President Trump comes back, I think, you know, getting rid of, you know, and all these things that he was, you know, saying that he should do because it's not contributing, you know, makes sense. You know, it, it, we're at a point as a global structure, right? With all these land masses with so many people, you know, uh, playing footsie and all this information is coming to the surface. And now the elites, as you, as you say, as you state them, you know, they're the intellectuals that believe in their ideologies, they believe these things. It's not like they're saying it because they actually believe this stuff. I like to see the good in humans at first, right? And this is one thing that they actually believe this. But then if the UN took actually a step back and paid attention to the World Health Organization, it's extremely alarming that we even have Tedros sitting there, you know, Tedros sat as the head of the health department of health in Ethiopia, right? And under his guise, right, we had uh, uh, an NGO um, that they call it the Six Organization that was actually um, called the Jeffrey Epstein Six Foundation. The Six Foundation was clearly experimenting on Ethiopian children to advance the knowledge of AI for 15 years under Tedros, you know, Ethiopia that, you know, back then in the late nineties, you know, and early thousands, you know, we were getting commercials in America, how they were starving. How are they starving if they're at the spear at the tip of the spear of AI? And these are all very confusing facts that create more distrust, which causes great unrest. And what president Trump did was shine the light And say this is hypocrisy and we need to be, you know, uh, standing a little bit firmer. We can't be hiding under skirts. But, you know, it's easy for a country like America to say it. You know, pick a country like Paraguay, right? Or, you know, let's go to, you know, um, to hit South America, which are the most vulnerable, right? Uh, We're going, you know, Peru, Paraguay, Uruguay. Uruguay is like the, um, the utopia that the UN created right? So Venezuela. You know, yeah, and well, Venezuela is a communist nation now, but, you know, they had, I feel that Maduro felt like he had no choice, you know? Remember, Venezuela on this whole planet has more oil that is found, right? Because there could be places that haven't found than anyone else. Saudi Arabia, at the rate they're, they're pumping, they've got 15 years left. Venezuela has 330 years left, right? So, the fact that he's acting so dictatorship-wise, right, is because he's protecting the interests of his nation. And Venezuela's not a small piece of chunk of land either. And so with 330 years worth of oil, knowing Saudi Arabia is gone, it's drippy dry, right? 15 years is nothing. Every one of those nations that profited off of, you know, this black gold, Right. Are now starving and they're throwing themselves into 15 minute cities. This is why, you know, you know, we see places like Abu Dhabi and, you know, the manufactured islands and the 15 minute cities. This, there's a purpose behind it because they know that their time is up in being oil kings. Right. Because it's in Venezuela now. And so, uh, you know, the one smart thing I can say about China and Russia is that they have been extremely friendly with Venezuela for that reason. Right. And, and, and so uh, going back to the thing, there's so many nations that want to stand on their own, but they can't because of organizations like the World Bank, because of organizations like the IMF. I mean, their actual currency is dead. Right. The XR is literally dead. So, you know, how do we reform? I, you know, I'm, I, 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 as a person would be like, it'd be great if we had like this huge round table and all the countries sat around it and hashed it out and threw chairs at each other, shoes, cussed at each other and said, no, this is what I want. That would be fantastic. You know, where we know that our leaders are sitting down and having conversations. That would be an ideal UN, if anything, because we're all sharing the same dome here right so how do we get this done how do we work to that you're reaching out to the youth but the only youth that's coming to you are the ones that don't know what gender they are right and the ones that you know think that you know not having responsibility they're you know they're 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 changing science i mean we're being told that there's more than two sexes and that's insane you know, and we're changing science. So how do you as a recruiter, right? You're going around, you're talking to these youth, but you're just recruiting people that'll just be like, yeah, sure, whatever. As long as, you know, free this or free Willie. It, it's, it's weird. How do we fix this? When we're at this point that there are nations that are so vulnerable, like Uruguay, Paraguay, you know, Peru, you know, they have nothing if a nation wants to they can walk in and take them over in a heartbeat you know it's almost like the swiss with the little knives right they have nothing so how do we fix this you know intimidation
1: so well i i I totally agree to that i 100 percent agree to that and it, it took years for me and my team to make the model that we are working on and that was the reason that we have to really fight so hard to make this new model uh, that we're working on and minus the government and reaching out people directly. That's one thing I totally believe in that if we work with the people directly minus the government, minus the system, work with the people directly and try to change how people think because they're, they're, they're telling you what they're seeing on internet or what they're seeing in news and what they're being fed through the news channels or internet or the fake news. Uh, they will say that that their mind is made up that way. They don't even know what their actual problem is. Like you say that they confuse young people who don't know their gender, they're changing the science. I 100% agree to that, 100%. They're going against the natural order and that's not how the things work. So um, we're working directly with young people And that's what needed to be done, work directly with the people and tell people what's going on and how to fix the UN. If you remove the whole security council thing, that's how you're fixing the UN. That's when everyone will sit on a round table. They may throw chairs at each other, they may punch each other, but we'll come with a common solution. And the only hurdle is the bureaucratic structure of the UN and that's the security council. That does not make sense. Because once the majority decides something or majority wants something, the Security Council just veto it and it's done for good. That's how you will change the system. Number one, work directly with the people, minus the government and the system, try to work directly with the people. And that's what I'm doing. That's what my team is doing. And it took years to convince the UN system and the people there that we really needed to work directly on the ground. Let's reach people out, remove the government barrier. UN absolutely cannot do that. And that's when we have to step out of the traditional UN circle, UN things that UN does and reach people out and uh, try to talk with them and bring, bring their values, their voice at the UN not UN automatically fed voices because UN have or the global order have its own things that they tell to the people and they believe in that but we work on that bring the people's voice in the UN that's how one thing you can change it when there are so many voices when there's so many people yelling and raising issues in different meetings and uh We really need such kind of a people at the UN and in the system that they would bring other people's voices in and bring like-minded people in the system and they would start working and speaking on it and then people will start raising out. It's the same example what Donald Trump did at the UN. He he did some fantastic. What he was speaking, people reached him out like me who believed in what he was saying and he left behind his ideology that people are following and speaking on in the un system and that's working out really well and that's i think how you can change the system a work with the people directly and bring their voices in the system and second remove the security council or change how security council can veto majority of the world's
2: issues well okay so well okay let's let, let's stay on that security you know I know a lot of ambassadors right UN ambassadors very good friends of mine and they speak common sense too though when when requesting you know structure they're like well I'm not really in that I'm only in the you know general assembly and you see the security council will remove them then what do we delegate powers to the general assembly then for each UN ambassador you know How how would that how would you envision that? Because right now, if you were out and you were talking to my children, hey, join Yungo. You know, we want new voices. We want this. You know, and you start saying words like open societies and solidarity and ESG. The majority, even though the Gen Z population seems to be obsessed with phones, they're actually pretty smart. They are incredibly conservative. Um, I have seen it because it is the youth that. Is is changing. So how do you approach them when you're using the same buzzwords? You know, of these are our programs. They look at the UN programs and they're like, yeah, no, I, I don't want that. You know, I don't want to eat Impossible Burgers. I don't want to change the way I call a hamburger to and yeah, That's the wrong protein. approach. No, but we're changing vocabulary. Like, you know, now it's being implemented that we don't call it meat. We call it protein. And it's like, oh, so that's going to include, you know, the cricket meal. And, you know, when they say things like, hey, you're going to own nothing and, and love it. No, that's not the way it goes. We we all learn that we toil in the farm and we reap the fruits that we toil over. So how do you approach the youth to reform if you're coming in with policies that aren't about reform, but it's about staying steady into this new, you know, and like it was said before, this wokeism?
1: So here, here is the thing, the change in the way people approach. That is really important. The way I approach, I can tell you that. that how I do and I think that's the good thing to do.
2: Okay, so Ali, you're approaching them, right? You say you're coming to me, right? And I'm uh, a kid. I'm, I'm
1: coming to you. I'm coming to yeah. you. Let's say, let's say, for example, yeah. listen to me here. I'm coming to you. I'm not telling you that, hey, listen to me eat Impossible Burger. And I'm coming to you with the approach. And I'm asking you, hey, I work with the UN and we're trying to reform things. What do you think we should do? That's the way we should approach people.
3: Ask yeah, people why, what they
2: Right. But Ali, why would they do that? You have all that data on computers. Like you can pay a company, any company right now, and it can cost numbers
3: from you. That, that, no, it's that's how, fake.
2: No, because you can actually determine what is automated and what is actual, right? Because right mm-hmm. now, you know which one's the actuals. We can tell the difference between sock puppets and actual mm-hmm. people, right? Um mm-hmm. So 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 when you can tell that difference on a digital level you can see it on a digital level obviously the 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 automation of sock puppets has advanced but there are ways to do it there are like conversation spaces like this where people are actually using their voices and then you follow their comments you can compile that data in a week you know i could compile yeah. that data in a week Right. So it's not approaching them because, you know, you coming to me and you're like, hey, I'm from the U.N. and I want your input. You know, I, I've been putting my input all over the place. But, you know, every time I put my input, I get these Silicon Valley people, or these cyber oligarchs that are silencing me. I don't feel comfortable. I feel like I'm under attack. And you're coming here with your ESG, and I don't feel comfortable. You're saying approach, but is it to approach to lure to accept these policies or
3: actually change? Oh, no, no,
1: yeah. no, no about change. What's change, change, So how do you change? So so
2: conversation.
3: that's
1: conversation.
2: Yeah, we're having the conversation, but how do you implement that change? If it's one voice, one interactions, ten, a hundred, like that's the point. We have the data. I can buy data like crazy. I can, I, If I can ask Elon Musk to give me access to Twitter, I would be able to suss out, just like he can, sock puppets to real accounts. And then once I get that, I can actually trace the conversations. I mean, I know that the United States, you know, already has this software from freaking 2007 because we've used it in war. So, again, how do you reform? You're having conversations. You're having outreach. How do you actually embody that reform?
1: so for something that I will reach you out I will listen to you and I will request you to please come to the UN with me and I'll give you the floor please talk there and tell the people what you want and what do you think because you are the you are people you're you are the one that we are supposed to be working for right it's the other way around we try to shove our the organizations try to shove their agenda on other people that's already been there so what my approach is very simple Bring people like you or the voices like you at the UN. I am no one to represent your voice. I have uh, no mandate to represent your voice. I have no right to represent your voice because your problem, what you're facing, you can represent it in the best way. I am only a medium of transportation who's coming to your doorstep and asking you to please kindly come at the UN, making making sure that you're at the UN and speak at the UN at the floor where people can actually hear you.
2: And there are people who are hearing it. Yeah, no, Ali, so see here, we're in a space right now with like 200 people because it's late, right? If this was daytime, this place would be filled with a ton of people having discussions. The UN doesn't necessarily have to have the person there physically, right? They can actually this round table where people can ask questions and everyone's like shy, no one's raising hands, but you know, where they have this, People can actually, you know, take their five minutes and say their piece. And, and, and you can do it virtually. You can go yes. into different pockets of spaces and, and then you guys can assess. But on the other hand, is that assessment going to be used to be able to maneuver and then, you know, sideways bring the same policies? Because we know where the funding comes from, the majority and the think tanks that are being paid. And who are these think tanks? Because they obviously don't represent at least, you know, 80% of the people listening right now. So these think tanks are making decisions based on information that they're privy to, but the rest of the world isn't. So that's that's the other aspect of it. I mean, you know, Ali, it's 2023. Why don't you venture out if you're outreach and you actually want reform? You know, one suggestion would be to have spaces like this that are broadcast to your U.N. General Assembly where they're average people. I mean, you know what a great place would be to come on to truth social and hold a space and have people chime in and say, hey, this is my name, this is my date of birth, this is what I think. This is my name, or they don't have to give their date of birth, but you know what I mean, just like their generation, right? Because it's aspects to see on, on, on who we're targeting. And I can tell you one thing from my assessment, and I'm pretty sure the UN has seen, The generation that was born post 2005, post 2005, is more like the generation that people call boomers than anything else. They are extremely conservative, extremely conservative. So that is a target population that is now being hijacked by affinity groups to embrace these insane Dreda Thunberg ideologies, you know, who, that nobody wants. Um, I see a hand up. So, um, you could go ahead, Ollie, and then we'll call on Deborah.
1: Well, well, listen. I'm, I'm, I'm a person of action, and whenever I see someone who needs to be at the UN, and I think you should be there, and uh, what you're saying that that totally makes sense. And uh, and what I can say that I can not promise, but I can ensure to give you the floor virtually at the UN in April. We're gonna have the big youth forum. And that's my target is that the reform gonna happen, the largest ever since after COVID, and we wanna talk about the recovery after COVID and that, and that's where we need voices like yours to tell the people like, hey, that's what's up. So uh, yeah, let's make this Yeah, and,
2: and you know that's what I'm saying. All these people in here would have to contribute. Brianna, Deborah. Uh, Gary, Frankie, uh, you know, Brad, Toki, Defender, Eco, all of them broken, all of these people here have contributions that vary from everyone's. I come from a perspective of what knowledge I have and everyone from their own. And everyone's perspective should be heard. And if the UN actually wants to make change. The one thing before we get to the Deborah question, I just wanted to ask you for clarification. If we remove the Security Council, or is it the in whole, or just the veto votes? Because that's the key question. Because if if the Security Council is removed, then the UN is simply a global think tank for our leaders, which sounds kind of hot, you know. And and if live stream, that's even amazing. That would be a show to watch where you're watching all the presidents just talk round table with coffee, cigarettes, cigars, candy, crickets, whatever they want and have it out. I think that is, I think that's the most, you know, that would be a contribution of global conversation like nobody's business, you know, where they sit down and it's live streamed and they're having these conversations. But this, uh, this, um, virtual thing, you should have a ton of people and you should, you know, you guys have like long day long things, Keep it running and people just come in and say their piece. And this is what the U.N. needs to see, you know, where they hear the voices of people from around the world, just not the United States, but everywhere, Peru, you know, Uruguay, Paraguay that are going to be going and suffering very soon. Right. Uh, You being in the U.N. understand what I'm speaking of. Right. It is, it is. It is very bad. You know, we've got Marburg sparring from other experiments that have happened for the virus of disease X slash Marburg. You know, that could be our next pandemic now, and, and and these are things that need to be discussed openly. So there's transparency. If there's no transparency, there's no trust. No trust, there is no cooperation. Right. And and that's absolutely. Okay. So anyway, I'll, I'll I'll move the floor um, for Deborah. I'm sorry.
3: That's okay.
4: Thank you. Thank you, Ollie, for coming. And don't take this to heart. But I'm telling you, the American people, even the British people, and other people, Canada especially, are to say goodbye to the United Nations. we That's what we want. The people, not our government. Because they're all crooks. And we know it. And they want a one-world order. Well, we don't want the one-world over order. We want our sovereignty, and we want to keep it. So how can we change that, since we have no vote on this
3: at all?
1: Here is, that's the what you're talking about, ma'am. First of all, I really, really appreciate and respect your view. That's for the people, and by the people. I believe in for the people, by the people, not by the government, or as you say, that crooks. I cannot say that because uh, for the reason, but I absolutely agree with that. And how it can happen is just like that. But one by one, we bring people in there who speak sense. And uh, this thing about the UN is changing bit by bit, where the people are actually coming in, not the leaders or the government organizations or, or like that. Now we have... This uh, thing that has started where people are coming in and... Uh, voicing wow, their I don't opinion. know, we
3: have.
1: We've no, done it's, it's, that. It's very, minor. it's very minor, and that's what I do, and that's exactly what I do, that I bring the people in and their individual voices, how they feel, what they think. And the UN told the UN what you think and what you feel and what UN can do and what actually is your problem and what you think the solution is. And it has started it has started i think only one person but uh, if we have more people like that uh, we may reach to 100% in coming few years but it has totally started
2: hey, before we get to the next thing i just wanted to say ali if you want you know thousands of people to to testify to the un their thoughts of you know their operations i can have them for you you set it up I'm pretty sure I can get you tens of thousands of people to 100%. No, I can't. You set it up. I have followed you on Twitter. You set it up. I'll, I'll make it happen. I'll be there, too. I'll be one of the digital voices out there, um, you know, and hopefully one of the last ones, right, because the people need to be heard. People like me that already know, you know, the operations and the geopolitics, pretty not necessary, because for me it's just pointing out what everybody knows and pretends they don't. It's the average people that need to be heard globally.
1: Well I can that's a very good idea and I can definitely push for a set of uh, Twitter space that can be broadcasted. And in that the would... Twitter space in the Twitter space I can bring in some key players of the UN like the directors or the head of the departments where you can talk to them directly, where they can listen to you or answer your concerns and the uh, best thing can be can be broadcast live at the UN Web TV.
2: Yeah, and I think, I think the whole world would actually like to hear it. And, you know, I think that would be a fantastic project of people being heard, you know, nation by nation, you know, to be heard on, on, you know, without, you know, without having to get dressed up and stand in front of a camera, but actually say, hi, you know, my name is Tori Maris, and I'm a U.S. citizen, and these are my thoughts, you know, and, and each and every one of them say, this is what the UN tells me. This is, I don't want any of this. This is what I would like to see the UN do. Yeah, I'm totally down you know, with that. that, that I that's think, practical doable. I think that doable. would be a fantastic thing. It would actually also, you know, bring more light into the deficiencies because once we accept that there are errors in the way we make, you know, I understand that a lot of UN ambassadors that I know personally have have told me, you know, they all like Trump. I knew this, Right. But the problem is publicly they didn't stand up. And the question is why, right? If that is their job, why wasn't it vocalized on a public platform so that people could see that the people need to be heard? Because then that just leads to mutiny and wars and wars that aren't coordinated for money, but wars that end in bloodshed. You know, empires fall really quick and this could be really dirty and ugly. So I'm going to step back.
4: Okay, so I think it was um, Stars, and then Frankie, and
5: then,
4: yeah, we'll start there, and then I think it was Gary and Politics, and then Zahn.
5: Thank you for the floor, you see. Um, Ollie, first off, I just want to say thank you uh, for for joining us tonight. Uh, It's really encouraging to hear, hey, you, and Chairman, come on here and say the things you're saying, and not just that you... um, are on board with our ideas and you support the sovereignty of of people but to hear you say that even your colleagues are changing their minds from what they thought before about their views on president trump and his policies uh, that's very encouraging to hear um and I, i thank you for sharing that and um uh you know the the uh uh communists like to use the words comrade and ally but you I, I view you as a friend. You're, you're a friend. And um, uh, y'all, if y'all haven't followed Ali, give him a follow because, you know, he's on our side. And um, Thank you. So that, I just want to say that first of all. Uh, second of all, my, my best friend was a, it was a Marine, and he spent time in Afghanistan. And he said, you know, he said, I, I saw genuine good that the U.N. was doing in places like that. Uh, and, and, you know, I, so I know that the heart of service is there in the UN and I know that the UN on the lower levels want to do good things and that's why they joined in the first place. Um, so I hear you talk about the security council, um, that they're the ones that have the, the say so in the organization. Uh, my question to you is, uh, If they're not securing peace for the world, and they're not securing the rights of people, and they're not, you know, they're not securing uh, uh, voices for the individuals, what are they securing?
1: Well, uh, you want my opinion or the UN opinion? (laughs)
5: <laughs> both let's go with both let's let's go with the official narrative first and then let's go with your opinion I mean I have an idea and if it's anything like America uh, 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 I have an idea but let's hear it well
1: uh, so actually UN was formed after World War Two to prevent, prevent conflicts and wars and mm-hmm. peace and give people what they want uh, safety and security but uh, as the years progress somehow they have changed their agenda what they're talking about is climate change is a big deal for them. Now years and years of conversation, they had a huge conversation on climate change in 2019, uh, 2020, they didn't have that conversation in 21. They had a conversation on climate change again in 2022 last year, the main topic of the UN team was education. And again, as 23 comes in, the main agenda again is climate change. So, uh, for them, the climate change, sustainability, sustainable development goals, uh, and all of these things are our uh, concern. It's because maybe uh, I think they want to divert things or want to make things look in a different way. Uh, that's what's going on. Um, for them, it's like climate change. They're working on climate change. They're working on the women's education. They're working on the health issues. Um, they are just trying to prevent conflict but are unable to do so effectively uh, as there are many conflicts going on already that's that's what the official what you can think that it's going on yeah and uh, and if you would ask my opinion it's it's my personal opinion is that in my personal opinion i think that just trying to um divert the actual issues they are Glamorizing everything, they're fantasizing everything. And uh, when I go to the meetings at the UN, there were the meeting at the in Egypt on climate change. There were meetings on education and everything. This seems like a fashion show to me. There are people with branded clothes over there, and they're talking about they're 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 wearing Louis Vuitton and Gucci and talking about poverty. That makes no sense to me. That absolutely makes no sense to me. They come in New York City, stay in the most expensive hotels. Right to the UN and Rolls Royce that doesn't make sense to me they talk about poverty they talk about how people are suffering first of all they wouldn't be talking about poverty wearing Louis Vuitton or, or writing to UN uh, just a few blocks away in Rolls Royce so um, that, that's yeah. what I am very critical about at the UN and sometimes my speeches was removed from the live streams or the things because I was very vocal about it hey it was fantastic it was a great fashion show it was a fashion show i yeah. saw a nice shoe i saw a nice uh, jacket i saw a nice sunglass. and that's what what, what right. it is and i, so, I said those so, things at the un
5: floor and there no that's the awesome so, so my assumption was correct. What they're securing is they're securing dollars for their own pockets, correct?
1: Well, I think they are just securing the jobs. <laughs> and uh, if you have the issues, if you have the problems yeah. in the world, then such people have the jobs.
5: Yeah, oh, yeah, that's that's true as that well. In my uh, personal opinion. Uh, yeah, well, that's, that said, sounds about right. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. I'll turn it back over.
3: Um,
4: okay, so Frankie, you're up. Oh, wait, your hand's down now. you want to
6: speak? No, yeah, I'll speak, I'll speak. I'll, yeah, what's going on, everyone? How we doing? How's it going? Pretty
1: good, brother. How are you?
6: What's going on? Um, no, so really quick. Um, th- there's something very sad about the way our political system in general is right now. It's, um, it's not a rational discourse. It's not anything about um, religion, soul, love, help. It's it, it th- those are things done on the surface to get votes to make people believe in certain systems at play. But at the end of the day, the way that the system wants things to go is the way that the system will make things go. And it's it's done through military, it's done through might, it's done through fight, it's done through um, wars. Wars build money, wars build credit wars build um allegiance to countries and whatnot so what you see and what we could agree on is one thing what actually happens and what like is the end game is another completely different thing i was when i was younger i was a big liberal right like i I hated george bush i i still do um you see how the neoconservative movement happened they were going to go into Iraq no matter what even though Iraq had no legitimate like pull into what happened or le- there was no legitimate claims as to 9/11 being linked to Iraq as a country. We went into Iraq we killed half a million people. Hmm. we don't talk about it. the the party then gets taken over by the um, by the, the the military complex group they take over the, the liberals the Democrats they make them into progressives they make them hard left. Then they go from neocon, neocon means super right, into super left. We get the super leftists now that are believing into going in and fighting Putin, fighting China, fighting all this. It's all bullshit. It's all building an enemy. It's all building us into giving our tax money money into a centralized banking system that is going to take that money and allocate it out by printing dollars to what movements they want. We can all agree on all the bullshit we want to agree or we want to say it's going towards what they want. We're all wasting our effing time with all this BS. There is no real discourse. Why? These people don't believe In spirituality. They're not spiritual. None of us are, unfortunately. Mind, body, and soul. The soul element is gone. We're all mind-body. We all believe in this money. We all we all love celebrities. Instagram. We lost the soul element. It's done. This culture here in the United States, I live in the US obviously, it's done. We're cooked. The empire's over. We're not trying anymore. We're all living on some like propped up credit bullshit. And it's just gonna end and that's the reality we can argue and bring up points left and right whatever and i'm not coming here from any other perspective other than saying we don't understand anything anymore there's no foundation there's no clarity on anything so biden is gonna want through his military industrial biden is george bush for the democrats the same thing. Biden is to the Democratic Party what George Bush was to the Republican Party. The exact thing. They make up things. They say things. People believe it. People go home and argue about it. We argue about it. It doesn't fucking matter. That's just the reality, unfortunately. And these people, at the end of the day, they're they're soulless. They're worth nothing to me. They're, they should be worth nothing to you. When life ends and when we go into our next life, We'll look back and we'll look at all this crap, how evil these people were, because they're all evil doers. They all are. You know, if you read any religious doctrine, these are evil people. They're not soulful. They're not loving. They don't love anybody. All right. So that's just a reality. And I'm not here to like preach for Donald Trump. Yeah, Donald Trump's 10 times better president than Biden. Is he perfect? Not even close, not even close to being perfect. But however, you have to understand these systems are systems at play. We need money. We need to fucking build up our military. They need to utilize all that money they spend in the military. You think they want those freaking, you think, think they want those, you know, those fighter pilot planes just sitting there to go unused for freaking 50 years? No, they want to use them because then they could rebuy from the military company and then they could reinvest in those. And that's an investment. Who was our last vice president? Uh under Bush was Dick Cheney. Dick Cheney was the, the, the CEO of Halliburton who made $40 billion after the war in Iraq. Halliburton. He was the CEO. These are military complex, bro. Uh, people that's it.
2: Frankie, aside from the fact that you're a Knicks fan, and I'll forgive you th- for that since you're a Jets fan.
6: Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm a I Knicks wanted... and Jets fan. I need to, I need to yeah, stop with Jets all is, my sports Jets teams.
2: Is yeah, Jets okay. Yeah. Knicks, you know, <laughs> I'll forgive you on that. You know, I'm from New York too, right? Hell yeah. But I never I never was a Knicks fan. Look, yeah, New York sucks now you're though. Saying, but what yeah. you're saying is the frustration. But here's the thing. How do we solve the problem? They're not listening. These are people that think that, you know, we're beneath them et cetera, et cetera. A lot of us have this more than these people that are making these goals. And your frustration is warranted and your military buildup. I'll have you know, the reason that I agree with that is because then you would be in a vulnerable position like nations like Paraguay and other South American nations that are complying and accepting deals and money and making concessions on the backs of their people because their deficit in being able to defend themselves. Because unfortunately, human nature does have this. And if we look at history, we see it. You're weak, I take over. Right? And I get it. Yeah, there's,
6: there's, there's one way. There's in. only one yeah. way. There's one way, there's one way we're going to beat this system and unfortunately it's the only way and I'm not advocating for it but it's inevitable. It's revolution. These elite but, groups, but Frankie, no, no, we have to take out these elitists. They have to be They have to be taken out, not, not that you have to kill them. You have to take them prisoner. You have to take them under our, our reign. You have to have a real democracy where people actually can vote. Elections are always rigged now. they Biden, Biden got in with a rigged election. Let's just be honest. It is what it is. I'm not like saying, it is what it is. Look at the numbers, all the swing cities. They're the only ones oh, that no, have to bump I up in. Freaking, and, frankly, it I is what freaking, it is. It is what it is. No. I mean, I, uh, that's I agree it. With you.
2: I agree with you. But if you haven't... Realized- Bush
6: won a rigged election also. Bush did not beat Gore. Bush won a rigged election in, in in Florida. Yes. Why? So they can go into Iraq. They use Bush to go into Iraq for the oil, for the Iraqi war, the bullshit war. They know this. They pla- We We talk about... These people have been planning this thing for fucking 20 years they know what the fuck they're doing we're Frankly. sitting here arguing they're the smartest no, we're ones we're not
2: arguing we're not yeah. arguing actually what we're saying- i'm not saying you
6: know, i'm saying like no, i'm rhetorically no, I'm saying, saying it. Yeah. no
2: yeah i know but we're, that's the thing instead of us just saying well this is this this is this which is you know at the point of you know let's just turn the table over and just say fuck it let's roll over let's all die then That's the answer. We have been in a revolution, but unfortunately, you know, in a civilized revolution and a civilized war and hostile takeover as to how the citizens of many nations see it, because it's not just in the United States. There are revolutions right now that aren't being televised across the world In, in small pockets. Ali's pretty sure of that, right? Like today, I was showing people on my show how in Peru, you know, they're in a state of emergency. Right. Which under their law means that the military can actually shoot citizens on the spot. No questions asked. No penalty. Right. That is terrifying to think of it. And their military is very small. Right. They don't have much manpower. So, again, rather than us say we need a revolution, we are already in it. And it is in the nicest way because it's civilized because we're all civilized. You know, just a 100 years ago, people used to go hang out at the square and watch people get hung. We don't do that anymore. If someone hangs someone in the square because they stole a tomato. Right. You're more than bound to get your ass kicked. For hanging someone in the square in the first place. So people evolved in regards to you know civilizations in general throughout history. So what we have to do is all right, we're at this spot where we have people making decisions for us. People that are in office that have usurped positions, right? We all feel it. It's not just in the United States. Election rigging occurs across the because it's all a power grab. And again, standing like Ali said. You know, rolling in with their Austin Martins and flying in in their private jets. You know, they're not wearing masks for everyone else to do it. You know, they know better. Uh, don't 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 talk because I know best, right? Mentality. You're all gonna do this because he said so. You know, I was one of the only people that advocated the CDC. I kid you not, and that got my my federal work study, you know, terminated because I was appalled that the H1N1 vaccine was being, you know, the the flu vaccine that turned out to be H1N1 was being cultivated in porcine cells. I'm not a Muslim, right? I'm an Orthodox Christian. I am as Christian as someone can get, right? Historical Christian. And so one would say, you're racist, you hate it. No, I advocated for the Muslims of America. Why? Because when they went and got the flu vaccine, that was wrong, because they had pig DNA in it. Right. These are big things and they're subtle things that we should be respecting each other. And that's the thing, Frankie, this is the conversation that we have. How do we fix this? And one thing is, you yeah. know, just from this Twitter space here, you know, Ali can have all of us say, here's my solution. Because we've got a million things. I could tell you a million things about Ali that I could throw back at him and say, no, you're in the civil society thing. You know, you have these people behind you. But if you're willing to have a conversation, right, then let's do it. Let's all come up with a solution. One solution that we all came to. Yeah, the you know, problem is one
6: chaos. No, you just. Yeah. Sorry to cut you off. Sorry. I'll stop. I'll stop.
2: No, no, no. I was going to say, one thing that we've discovered is having discussions on Twitter spaces allows a lot of people to have a say, right? And yes. rather than us yes. just say our say, we say, okay, this is a really messed up situation because we are. If you actually knew half of the things that I observe, and I know Ali sees it too, right? Because he's, he's actually officially in the UN. So he's probably more privy to some things, I guess, allegedly. So this is the see, he can see the things that are happening. Okay? He can see the things that and if you actually knew the gravity of the situation of what is going on right now in the world, right, you would be in pure in pure panic mode. There are things that you wouldn't believe happen because you know, there's no way that there's human beings that would do these things. You wouldn't believe the organizations and the concessions that leaders have made on the backs of innocent people and nations, you know, for the sake of this or for the sake of that. So Rather than us hash it out, because we all know this. The whole world knows this. And we say it in this hypocritical way when I hear people, I don't deal with politics. They're all crooks. You know, this is, we just need this. What do we do? Bloodbath? No. We can actually make change by forcing conversations, having difficult conversations. And this is one solution that we found today is, hey, Ali. Let's get a live stream at a reasonable time, maybe on a Saturday, and you can air it, you know, on your UN and people come on and say, this is a solution I suggest, not just, you know, us putting out the problems, because I can point out a shit ton of problems. Frankie, yours was minimal to what I would love to say, right? But what we need to be doing is coming up with solutions. And that's something that I've been saying for years. We can all complain. I can complain. We can all cry solutions and one solution is we come to the table so frankie having said all that what would you think your solution is because you're saying they're not listening well what if we make the whole world listen and who cares if they do
6: this is my you're you're spot on i i i i I didn't i agree with everything you just said my problem is this my 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 analysis is this when you have the good versus the bad what do the bad want to do evil people they don't care about death. They don't care about life. They're evil. They're, 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 it's like, you ever hear the thing? It's like, you can't kill terrorists. You can't get rid of terrorism because they're willing to blow themselves up to kill you. It's kind of the same analogy, right? Like, it, the evil side, they're willing to kill themselves to kill you. They don't care about death. They don't care about war. So when you're fighting people that are that evil, these are Satanists. Like like loving people like these are these are demonic people. I'm not saying Satan. I'm no, talking no, about no, Satanism. No. Like and no, no, I'm saying these are like grimy people. Like these aren't like people you can have a conversation. They don't want to have a conversation. They want they want you dead. I'm just saying right, like like right. they don't give Frankie, a fuck.
2: Frankie, you're right. But guess what? They are few and we are many. So it doesn't matter.
6: No 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 no. It's no, yeah. No, to no, me, no, it's the No many. no. They are many. They we are few. the few. I'm telling you no, right no, now. No, we no. are the few. <laughs> They're the many.
1: Let me say something. My two cents on this, what Frankie is saying is absolutely what a common person would feel. And uh, Frankie, let me tell you, you, your thoughts are in majority, not in minority. I can tell you that 100% because I go talk to a lot of people all around the world, not just in the United States. I talk to the people everywhere. Even I got mails or messages because when I do such speeches, like, when I talk about it was a nice fashion show, uh, what about people? Let's talk about people. The actual people reaching me out, and yeah. I don't even know which country they're from. I've never heard the name of those countries before. And they feel exactly the way you feel. And the, the way to undo all of that thing is reform. As uh, Terry said, that's reforms. We we definitely need reforms. And we are 100% in majority. We are more. I think they're, they're 2% people. We call them 2%ers. They're just 2% and we are 98%. We are 98% people who feel the same way, have the same problems. And uh, we are in majority and we need to find. But Ali,
6: way. we haven't helped it. We haven't helped it. The, the situation is getting
1: worse. Worldwide. We need to be united. I think those ninety-eight percent need to be united in a same course of action. And when ninety-eight percent of the people either speak or act in a one-uniform way, that's what the revolution. Ali, of- the
6: way you think, the way chaos thinks, the way unapologetic thinks, the way we all think, I'm telling you, we're in the minority, man. We're in the. Frankie, Frankie I'm telling I mean, you, we're in the minority. Even, I'm telling you, bro. You're,
2: yeah. Okay. Listen, Frankie, we're in the minority. You say. Let me give you an example in the United States that the majority of the people that I see here, a few of them have taken part. Okay, here's here's I'm going to take you back to 2021 in August of 2021. In July, uh, thousands of American citizens wrote letters to their attorney generals telling them that you have a parent's patronate. You need to do this. They wrote a letter and they mailed it to every single attorney general, every single one. They organized and they sent it. When the OSHA mandate landed, right, I I have a very small business, right, because I, I, I do my media stuff, right, and I use that as an excuse to chime in on the SCOTUS case. I actually was in that case fighting against the OSHA mandate. And do you know that the attorney generals that stood up actually used language from those letters they got from the people? So that is key. That is just one bonafide example where you can see that if people unite, they get it done. But the problem that we have is that, you know, kind of the same thing that the people in the UN have. And I know a lot of ambassadors, and I can tell you, they love President Trump. I was at a party in D.C. held in his honor by UN members. And I was like, when when are you guys going to say it publicly? And they said, you know, we're not unified. And that is the problem. And I see that in America because there's so many people that want to be first in doing things, throwing money at organizations. We don't need money to fix things. We need to be heard. And we need to create our own platforms if they, if they don't give it to us. And the one thing that the UN has had an issue with that I know for a fact, well, obviously, China is key, right? Because it's like the silent, you know, backer, right, is is the ability to garner their courage because you know just like in our FBI it's completely corrupt from the higher ups but there are a lot of good people right now in there that are struggling and there are two types of people people that follow leaders and people that are leaders and one thing we need to realize is that we're all leaders because we are the majority so frankie one thing is you're you're saying all these things what have you done to like Push it. You know, I know that there's a lot of people in here that filed lawsuits on their own. Right. Just to fight things like lockdowns, you know, mandatory vaccines. You know, tried to get out there and run for office and was shot down. I was, I went in there and I was like, look, there's a chance that I will win, but what I will do is make change. I went all the way up to the Supreme Court of the United States to demand equal opportunity for all candidates, not just the parties that the elites accept. And now I'm heading into federal court since at SCOTUS it was out of time, right? Because the elections happened. So this is, this is key and important. The organization is about a union unified front. So like for the UN, all the ambassadors, the young ones, the, the ones that have been in for a while, they all need to unify and say, look, we need to get some stuff done. You know, we don't like the fact that these two nations have vetoes. We should all sit around a coffee table and throw shoes at each other. What Every single nation should sit around and everybody in the world should have access to see you guys have transparent conversations about issues. That would make sense because the UN's purpose was to have discussions right? And we're not having discussions. We're having bullying, you know, of other nations and taking down other nations. And while, you know, you say, oh, nothing can happen. Yes, it can. But because a united America is an unstoppable America. That is a fact. And there are tons of Americans that have spent money, time, stamps, letters, and you're going to be like, what letters? We should just go in there. That's what we say when we're back to the beginning. Here's where we're at the advanced point where we actually realize just how much power we have. We are still free on paper, right? And we still have a voice. And if the people say no, there's always a revolution. Even the elites know this. So at this point, this is where they step back and say, "Uh, no more, you know, that's it. And so what we need to start doing is having these conversations. And Ali, I'm telling you, like something like this, where people can actually come in, you know, predetermined and say, we would just like to hear what your solutions are, what you'd like to see would be fantastic because that would actually be a global event. And maybe you could do it nation by nation, you know, and have people just jump on a virtual space and say their piece because it is one step at a time because this is an elephant and you can't eat it in one go. I mean, unless you're an anaconda that's really big. Now, maybe then you can swallow it. But anyway, I'll shut up. And there there's a bunch of speakers, and they're in the queue. So I'm going to sit back and um, let someone else speak. Thank you, Frankie. Okay.
4: Um, so we were at Gary and then politics and then con.
7: <clears throat> Thanks. Uh, here's the solution. First, we have to acknowledge what the core problem is. So everybody listening, go to Google and ask, how many new babies per day on Earth? And Google will kindly highlight the result for you. And the number is astounding. So in my opinion, globalists are panicked over this. They can't see a future for Earth with this situation. So my solution that I'd like to suggest is for a few of them to pass the plate <clears throat> uh, and offer uh gift cards for any vasectomy volunteers worldwide now whether you uh whether you uh, agree that or whether you think that that astounding number that you'll see in the result is a good thing or a bad thing i think everybody that wants to be honest would have to acknowledge that uh the globalists are panicked over it. And that accounts for all all the stuff we're seeing that's ruining our our reality. So my question for Ali is uh, a couple of things. How much of your day is spent in, say, email, in phone conversations with individuals, in uh, group spaces like this, or, say, in dinners? And in those, are you privy to any... uh, stuff from the two percent that hints of this panic i'm alluding to that they are that the core issue am i off or is is this two percent basically uh scheming to try to reduce the number of new babies per day on earth what do you think
1: Well, uh, how much time I spend, I think the majority of my day is uh, on this purpose that I need to bring people's voice in the UN system and want to make sure that they are being heard. Their voices need to be there. And uh, I'm actively working on that because we have something uh, coming up in a month and uh, we really need people's voice and opinion over there. And uh, I'm definitely going to use Tori's idea to uh, amplify that thing to bring the people's voice in. And I would say that I am one of the very few people who are actually working on that to bring people's voice in. And, of course, it's a, it's a really hard thing to do. And that's it takes a majority of my... Uh, work hour and even after work hour, talking to the people, meeting them in person or having a Zoom call with such kind of people or going into random spaces. I joined this space randomly because I like the topic and it's about canceling something and uh, that's how I entered this space because I like the conversation that was going on that was interesting for me. And it's because I am going around and trying to find people like this who think alike And I find like more than 200 people here actually think alike in the same way I think and uh, are interested or want to have reform. So uh, uh, very much time that I'm spending and I think more of the people need to do the same thing. And can you uh, ask again the second part of your question, please?
7: Well, do you hear hints of this uh, concern over the population growth? Is that maybe is that the core issue? By the way, another thing: um, you're part of the UNFPA, as I understand it. And is Adam Rogers there, to your knowledge? Or he had a lot. To do?
1: I, I I was part of UNFPA. Uh, my my job was with the UNFPA in Afghanistan and Pakistan, and. Uh, 2011 and 2010 till 2011 and 12 uh, I am no more with UNFPA but I'm very much uh, aware of their agenda yes and it is uh, one of their concern the the population growth um, how it is happening and it is they they are concerned about it yes
7: okay but okay so your y- your focus is youth I'm an old guy yes if, yes desert. Is there a possibility, though, that you could arrange for an invite for me to record my message to be heard by the U.N.?
1: About... 100%, I can do that,
7: yes. Uh, how can we
1: get that rolling? Well, um... Uh, hey, Ali,
2: yeah. if you're up to doing a virtual event, I will make it happen.
1: Yeah, virtual event, and eventually my focus is to present these voices at the upcoming U.N. General Assembly in September.
7: And... Uh, I'd like to record something and have and uh, lay out both sides. Say I, you know, think of it as dynamics going on. And that's that's one of the reasons that well, it's not going to help for either side to demonize the other. Both sides are holding back and in their own camps. And you know, I have a whole spiel that I want to do, but I think that it, it could possibly help.
1: Yes, we can. We can one hundred percent make that happen. As uh, Tori said, that we we discuss about having a virtual conversation on something like that. But it will not stop at just one virtual conversation on Twitter. Uh, okay. We would love to have this conversation in front of the world leaders at the UN General Assembly
7: too. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll
1: find a way to do that.
7: Okay, That's- but again, throughout your day, do you hear hints of this? like panic over population growth?
1: Yes. Yes, I do.
7: Mm, Okay.
1: Okay. I do. It's been discussed and it's been seen. It's been discussed. It's been seen. It's a very long conversation we can have on that. There are people who have different views on that. and uh, Some people have very pathetic and inhumane views on that. And... uh, some people have some sane views on that so yeah we we do hear concerns and all sorts of voices uh, over something like this and you have just talked about something really really really
7: important thank you there was a gal who visited davos this year and she said that the topic was discussed at dinners but not on stage and i think it's that uh it's a very emotional topic for most people and so that. Uh, anytime they've brought it up, like Ted Turner, for example, they just get uh, really vicious anger uh, rather than a discussion over it. So thank you for your time. I'll let others, uh, somebody, maybe the host or co-host can contact me. Appreciate it.
4: Um, yeah, so I just wanted to say something really quick about something that Ollie brought up. and um, yeah, the topic of the discussion was simply, we have so many we we have problems going on, so let's talk about some solutions. That's what it was titled before. Um, Ollie came up onto the panel, and that is the whole reason why we're having this space. And at the end of the day, we know that there's not evil people in every single agency, right? And so, when we're sp- Ollie's taking his time here to answer questions and to listen to us, and I think that is um, an applaudable thing to do. Um, and then my my question here for Ollie is in regards to what Gary said. Um, shit, I think that was his name. Ugh. Okay, anywho, um, when it comes to you know the population control thing. Why? Is it about a space? Is it about carbon? And if it's about carbon, why are they so concerned about carbon when it's 0.003% in the atmosphere?
1: Uh, well, um, that's something that's a very sensitive topic. And uh, you want my opinion or are you want the UN opinion?
4: Well, it depends. Wow. We want both opinions. We want both. Both. Well,
1: why? Why do you think that COVID was invented?
4: Well, right. They they murdered my grandmother, who was full Chippewa Native American. So, um, but it seems like they targeted specific groups. So then, what? What is the agenda?
1: Mighty will survive. The weak will die. Um, I'm sorry. I'm using some harsh words that I'm not. I
2: know that's true. That's true.
1: That's what it was, and that's how it goes, and this concept is thousands and thousands and thousands of years old, like how they does that, but it's more advanced era where we are living in, and that's how I think uh, they're concerned. So um, China used to have one-child policy because their population was out of control, and they didn't have the resources to control those resources so that was their one child policy they have that now they are facing problems because of that as well that policy is removed now they can have more than one child i think the limit is 3 child that you can have in china now so um that's that's they ha- have its own hazard what the global think tank says as gary mentioned about davos davos is also such kind of an elitist forum and uh, they do have such kind of discussion over there where they discuss the problem of the population growth and how to handle that. For them, it's about the resources. For example, it's a, if a city have three million people living in a city, but they have the resource of only 50,000 people. Re- by resources, I mean the drinking water, the food, the colleges, schools, parks, and uh, parking places, and other things. For them, that's what it is. That population is growing. So it's more that they can manage it. They can increase the number of cities. They can manage it in small pockets rather than eliminating the population through such diseases. Um, so um, that's what they think that because there are a lot of people, they're growing. We don't. The world doesn't have resource. The world doesn't have enough drinking water for the people. Uh, In the world right now, that's what they say. They say that they don't have enough crops for the people to eat food or let's say they don't have enough wheat for the number of people we have uh, right now. Uh, So these are the things that can be managed smartly. Uh, well,
4: that's what they say, which a lot of that is B.S. because there's so much untapped territory. Yes, this territory, is B.S.
1: This is right? B.S. This is, BS. It is all, this is the concept, as I say, that the, the COVID targeted certain number of people, innocent people who were weak. So that was the concept that weak will die and mighty will survive and then they will control a lot of different things. Donald Trump was saying the same thing. President Trump was saying the same thing, and many people were saying the same thing. So that's the reality, like to control the global order. That's why they're concerned about the population growth.
4: So they wanted yeah. productive people to like propel forward and create more productive people? Is that what you mean by we No,
2: it's survival of the fittest. Yes. That's For the
1: survival thing. of the it's fist, exactly. Of the
2: that way they can shed the dead weight, kill the genetic lines that are an issue and continue with a more, um, you know, dynamic uh, genetic pool of persons. And I know it sounds super cruel, but this is exactly it. And this has been the idea from ages ago, you know, lepers that had a simple bacterial infection that we can fix and they could have fixed, fun fact through Egyptian beer, because they actually had tetracycline back in the Egyptian times that was actually discovered after we allegedly discovered tetracycline, was actually done in their beer. And that was done at Emory University, uh, you know, about two decades ago, a mummy they found tetracycline they thought it was a hoax and it turns out the way the Egyptians made their beer was actually an antibiotic go figure but again it's survival of the fittest rather than look after your weak, you just let them die off and, and and work with those that can produce to society because in an intellectual field and you know coming from working in global intelligence I can tell you that was always the ideology the ideology is that hindrances cause hindrances to development and we need to be able to have productive citizens we can't have handicapped we can't have diabetes we can't have this so why not figure out how to fix all these things with all these people and then kill off the ones that we don't need and i know it sounds really harsh but that is the core of 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 all of this so um ali i'm just going to shut up so we can have these people ask questions so we can you know, I'll call it quits. And we should definitely do one of these like on a weekend when you're off, you could DM me. I'll totally hook one up because we should start having these discussions and maybe that'll help you organize, you know, we should make this a global event. This could be something that could actually save portions of what the United Nations was intended to do under Eisenhower when he put it together, which is having these conversations of maintaining sovereignty but increasing, uh, you know, the, the, the capacity of what um, humans can achieve. I mean, in an ideal world, and I'll say this simply before I shut up, you know, we should be working up until we're 30 and have everything. And, um, you know, we should be training our youth, and that means at 30 you can decide to continue to work If you're you're you love what you do or you could be like, yeah, forget it. I get a mansion. It's paid for. I get all my food paid for. I could buy my Gucci and Louis Vuitton paid for Um, that would be the ideal society and 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 helping growth by having, you know, your prime years of, you know, zero to 30 working and studying and contributing to society. And the rest is, you know, be man, art, creative thinking conversations. How can we fix things? How can we do better? Let's go to other areas that we haven't seen. I mean, you know, I I say this all the time. Elon wants to go to Mars and yet we still haven't discovered everything that's on Earth. You know, there are oceans that we haven't even touched. So I'll I'll shut up on that and let other people talk. Okay,
4: so politics, you're up. And then, oh my gosh, I think it was Ollie, the other Ollie. Um, And then Knife.
8: Awesome, thank you so much. Thanks for hosting the space. And Ali, thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. It's really cool to uh, hear a UN chairman say things like, yeah, why do you think COVID was invented? I mean, it, it's a no small mystery to us. Like, we've all seen Dr. Francis Boyle's reports, right? He was the author of the 1982 Anti-Bioweapons Act signed into international law. And, you know, as the author uh, of that act, he was uniquely qualified in late 2019 when he went on Jones's show and told us all about it being a man-made chimera bioweapon and, and all that. So, Um, I don't think it's 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 you know the information has been out there long enough for people to access it So I don't think there's any shame in coming out and just saying it like it is and I read it's really encouraging to hear you do that Um, my main aim um, is Constitutionality, I'm a big fan of constitutions and government by Constitution Um, I personally believe that the United States the Constitution for the United States of America is probably one of the Greatest legal documents that humanity's ever drafted. I also feel like it's been stewarded very poorly um, but I do think that, you know, other nations might think to, um, have a redress of their grievances at some point and, and also draft a new constitution. And, and, you know, we humbly offer our principles and our, uh, our jurisprudence to them as a gift with love as brothers, welcoming them in open arms to, you know, a, a globe of liberty. Um, so I think that's really where I'm coming from, uh, pinned on my profile. I have what I'm calling the constitutional revivalists handbook. It's a constantly updating, curated uh, portal of information on the constitutionality of things, at least within the United States construct. Um, And it's got some very interesting citations. I mean, the jurisprudence lays it all out. Like, Judicial Review tells such a story. If you just write out citations from the SCOTUS over the years, I mean, they literally articulate God's place in law, right? They they literally articulate it. They talk regularly about the law of nature, right? It's, It's not created by man. And, and that that's the common law, you know, the, that all men are endowed with these liberties. Like, these are the things that they hit on, and it's so beautiful to see. So I would be honored if you guys would take a moment to check out that pinned thread up top. Um, if you find anything useful in it, please share it. And I offer that humbly uh, to Ali as well, um, just to kind of get an idea of where a lot of us are, are, are at and are coming from, because the sentiments and the jurisprudence in there and the citations, I mean, the citations are all real. Everything goes to a .gov or .edu accredited source that'll give you a very good um, idea of what these you know, arguments raised were and give you the cases. So I I do humbly offer that forward to everybody here.
9: Thank you.
1: I just liked your tweet so it can remain in my record and I will go through it.
2: Thank you so much, politics. Um, Brianna, do you know who's next?
4: Um, Yeah, so we're going Ollie, and the Knife and then Jeb, then Stars and then Sir Olive.
9: Thank you, host and co host and thank you for hosting this panels uh, My name is Ali. Uh, my question is to Mr. Ali. Uh, as a... Can you hear me?
1: Yes, I can hear you.
9: Perfect. Yeah. Good. Thank you, Mr. Ali. Uh, my question is this. I'm origin from Ethiopia, but I'm You U.S. citizens in Ethiopia, northern Ethiopia, Tigray. It's been genocide for the last two years, but the UN doing nothing. Uh, the sad thing is, I think most of you guys, you have no idea what's going on in that region, but genocide is going on. Really? Genocide is going on in 21st century. The UN doing nothing to stop it. That's the saddest thing. Um, saying that...
6: What do you, what do you think happens? needs to happen? What do you think needs to happen?
9: Hold on, Sneaky. Let him
2: speak.
6: We oh, that. I'm asking I'm him, like, what, what does he think? Like, How would you fix it? How would you
3: fix
9: it? I didn't ask you, sir. I'm asking Ali. He's a UN representative. That's what I'm asking him. I don't know who you are. I don't know to whom you work. That's my question. So, by saying that, Mr. Mr. went to Ethiopia on the 18th of February. He had a plan. Visiting Tigray was the genocide is happening, all the victims to visit them, but eventually he changed his plan. For what reason? I don't know it. We don't know if most of Tigrayans are really worried for our loved one. It's still after they've been signing for peace, but the genocide is continued by the dictator of Isaias Aforki and his supporters, some of the uh, government of Ethiopia. When you guys going to take action, really action, not just concern a word, but really concrete action for other UN <laughs> workers? And thank you so much.
1: Well, genocides are really um, un- un- unfortunate things that are happening right now. Not just in Ethiopia and Sudan.
3: And Burkina Faso.
1: Burkina Faso. Yeah. And many, nice. many, uh, many other places, DRC, and uh, the genocides, those genocides are sponsored by the, um, I would say that, the dictators.
10: The world banks, the world banks.
1: And they, they, they support that, actually. Many, many of the governments support the genocides or the dictators, or they close the blind eye. In the terms of Ethiopia and in Africa, because Africa is now currently being robbed for its natural resources on the face uh, of what you can say the genocide and such things are happening what UN can do most is to send the peace forces or the UN peace forces or the last option is the NATO force but the first thing what is needed to be done is to denounce the dictatorships Uh, because uh, I know that uh, that is very unfortunate reality of the UN that's they acknowledge the governments of the dictators. And uh, if UN should stop doing that, acknowledging the governments of the dictators, like they did it for uh, Somalian government, that they accepted someone from Somalia as a president of the, the Somalia or the leader of the Somalia who overthrew the democratic elected government. And that dictator was at the UN speaking. He was not supposed to be there. If UN would denounce and would not uh, acknowledge him as the legitimate leader of the country, that's the first step that can happen, that everyone needs to denounce the dictatorships no matter what period. That's how things will start uh, rolling out in a better way.
2: Yeah, I can't agree with you more, Ali, because you know, he's al Shabaab backed in everything. So I agree with you, but there's yeah. a lot of conflict with Judy Booty. To Ali that asked the question from Ethiopia, you know, I follow a lot of what goes on in Ethiopia and I and I have always postured the question. You know, have the Ethiopians actually reached out to Tedros? Because even when Tedros was in charge of your Department of Health, he created atrocities within your own nation. And now he sits at the top of the board at the World Health Organization dictating policies for the rest of the world. And, you know, I I know that many Ethiopians, I mean, because I'm Orthodox, so, you know, we all congregate at certain points. Right. And I've been to Ethiopia myself, uh, you know, in the past. I can tell you, you know, the Ethiopian people, this purge, this genocide that you see is a politically motivated one. But have the people of Ethiopia ever thought to actually call upon? you know, their leaders that are in high positions, such as Tedros, even though we know that he's not a very good person. and We know the experimentations that were conducted under his purview, the atrocities and crimes against humanity that happened. I completely agree. But holding them accountable is by voicing together. I mean, have you ever thought if there is a way? I know Ethiopian-Americans, you know, if United, you guys have a network, just like we Greek-Americans do and Italian-Americans. Have you ever thought of actually calling him to the carpet?
9: Can I add one more thing on that, please? uh uh-huh. Sure. Well, speaking of the Ethiopians, Ethiopians, most of us, asking to be responsible, either you call it Tedros, or each and everyone who's on the top, from the previous government to now, there's a petition out there, but the Ethiopians refuse to sign, because their people going to be targeted. We don't care the Tedros, we don't care as anyone to be responsible. If they really want to be responsible, Tedros, us if it is something back in previous government, why they cannot sign that? Petitions out there. So the reason is there is flip-flop out there and the government of Ethiopia, because they are all criminals, either you call it previous or the right one we have is completely genocidal government, either the Ethiopian or the Eritrean government, because everything is killing innocent. I don't care whatever the government they're talking about. Innocent, I'm talking innocent. 120 women get gang rapes. I'm not saying that the, the Immense International said it. Human Rights said it. The New York Times said it. The Washington Post said it. World, World War II General said it. Why they cannot sign it. That petition to be responsible for those who, you just said it, like a Tedros did something in the previous government. So... The Ethiopians are supported by China, Turkey, Iran, United Arab Emirates, multiple other nations too. So the UN is watching it and doing nothing, even though they had a session for twelve or ten times. I'm not sure the number, but they did nothing. What they said is just concern. Look, I'm saying 120 females being gang raped. Rapes, close to a million people dead and perished under two years of war. So, you've seen this, you're not taking concrete action, that's shameful for the UN itself. It's really shameful. Yes.
2: Exactly. And that's why we're having these conversations, Ali, because these are the conversations you should be heard by the UN. You should be heard on what you have to say and say, this is shameful. The UN was created where we all come to the table. One leader from each nation, and we discuss these issues and we fix them. And for the people of Ethiopia, the Christian genocide on the African continent is out of control. Right. And, and, and it is huge. And the only thing that people can do is unite. But like you said, many are fearful. This is in America, too. And you living in America, you see it. People are too scared to say the wrong pronoun, let alone speak up and voice their concerns. So, you know, I, I cry for the people of Ethiopia. I, I see these things. And I, and I tell this to my audience all the time, Ali. There are things that are happening around the world that would make your stomach turn as you're sitting there eating your cheeseburger or smoking your cigarette. You know, there's someone being tossed off a roof. There's people getting slaughtered in, in other places. There are children that are being deformed so they can go and beg for napkins, you know, for money, selling tissues on street stops in India. You know, these are real things. And Ali, you're right. These are atrocities and the UN is doing nothing but sitting around. But like Ali said earlier, the reason is, is the Security Council and and other councils that seek above. It's almost like the European Parliament. They all sit down, they have conversations, they say things, but they have no say because there are people with no names on their door. And nobody knows who they are that make the decisions for them. And this is, in a way, how the U.N. has been functioning. And what Ali has been suggesting is we need to bring more voices in to say the leadership is not doing a good job, almost like the things that we're seeing in the United States. Hmm. Coincidentally, we're seeing the same thing in the United States where we have lower level employees within federal agencies saying the top level are not doing their job. And I think the more we start having these conversations, Ali, and people like you are heard and people e- from Ethiopia are heard, the better. See, Ali, now you can have, uh, you know, another virtual event with just Ethiopians. And they would actually feel comfortable to be on a social media platform where they can be heard by voice but not seen. Because that is also a fear in places like, you know, Burkina Faso or Nigeria, you know, and, and, and Ethiopia. Did you booty? like the stuff going on there that nobody's talking about right now, you know, there's so much going on and, um, I, I think it's imperative. I, I think this is so kismet and ideal because, you know, I was in East Palestine and I had a meeting. So that's why I had jumped off my space and, um, you know, Brianna created this space and it's almost as if it was intended to be here because these are the conversations we should be having. And even though it's late night, I'm freaking totally enjoying this, Ali, because I think this is where we get the juju on the juice to see how we can have solutions and to help nations like Ali. You know, home of Ethiopia, putting people on a virtual platform—women, men—voicing their concerns and saying, "This is how we can solve it. This is what I think we can do." You know, not every proposition is going to be correct, but it can be closer to the correct way of getting things solved. And I think this is primary interest. You know, and this is a job that people in our State Department should be doing. But I digress. I'm going to shut up so somebody else.
9: Uh, Can I say something?
11: Uh, um, my, who is this? This is uh, Ambassador Warsami.
4: Oh, yeah, go ahead. And then after that, it's uh, Jab and the Knife. And I know they've been waiting a while. Yeah, uh,
11: so no I problem. Thank you. Uh, first of all, just an announcement. Uh, uh, we're having a big protest this on tomorrow morning. State Department, Somali American community. It will be an Eritrean community helping us. No more movement. Everyone's coming out tomorrow morning, 9 o'clock, State Department. There's an ongoing genocide, as we speak right now, Under the 18-day going on Northern Somalia secessionist, sponsored by United States, UK government, and they committed a genocide. They killed over 300 people for the last, uh, last uh, almost last 16 days. they shelling. They talk about very lightly on a Security Council, but there was no country, nobody right now, today, tonight. At this moment, right now, I'm talking to you. Look at our hashtags, SEC genocide. Of the region, genocide in Somalia, northern Somali. That's what we need African people come together. And you
2: know, not just Somalia, not just you know um, Ethiopia. Well, let's talk. We could go. Yes,
11: let's yeah. The go. only person that did something was a Gray Zone. i Garrison. She did some article, and she's gonna have a space on her. I'm gonna have a space on her on Saturday. So if you guys go to Gray Zone, there's a couple of articles in there. And uh, that's the only platform, and also Black like, Agenda Report. Those are the only two uh, websites that actually talking about this.
2: Well, I followed you. If you'd like to DM me, I'd love to have you on my show where we can actually talk about these concerns. Um, I have a pretty vast audience it's global right and um we should be having these conversations i would totally love to you can dm me anytime i would love to host a conversation where we just you know you you, you voice the concerns you know this genocide is happening all the time ambassador and
11: thank you for your time i definitely will, I will The general
2: assembly that talk you know, and they want to say something, but they don't want to say something because they want to stay there to make change. So they say just enough within the goalpost to not be silenced at all. And you know, we have the 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 overlords, as you would say, that 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 do these things. And I, my heart breaks. I, my listeners know. I, I speak of these things, and 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 sometimes it's really painful to actually discuss them, uh, because of the atrocities. People can't fathom that these things are happening, right? I actually today on my show show them how they're just shooting young people in the street in peru because they have the right to because they're under national emergency so these are really key things i mean where is the u.n on this i mean where's the u.n on sanctioning joe biden for blowing up the Nord Stream pipeline like where is where is i would love to hear and um you know, I look out for any streams of what you guys are doing at the State Department. I mean, you know, the State Department in the United States is pretty much useless uh, with this administration. You know, at least at, tr- during Trump's administration, we had a couple of people uh, that were actively uh, pushing for good policies and conversations. So uh, my heart bleeds for you. And, and thank you so much.
11: I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's the article on Wrote. What happened is the five years Donald Trump was president. Somalia was progress has the biggest uh, impact change in almost uh, 31 years. Everything was improving, right? And uh, we had a president down there named Abdelmah Formaggio for five years. Actually, he voted for Donald Trump himself. He was an American, Somali-American from New York, upstate New York, Republican, registered Republican that used to work for Job, uh, uh, Governor Bataki and government. And then later on, went to Somalia, go back and trying to fix his stuff. And what happened is, as soon as he fixed everything, um, Donald, uh, Biden came over to, uh, to uh, took over the United States. And what happened was, they did kudate with no election, and they put a puppet there, and they got rid of the president that was fixing uh, Somali government, just like the Brazilian president before. So uh, that's what's going on there. They put a right now a puppet that basically signed everything, contract, oil, and uh, natural resource, nothing, for nothing. And that's what they have right there. And... Basically, he's a, a it's total disasters, and there's so many people living in the country. I mean, it's so you cannot believe what's going on. The massacres going on, the wars. Going on.
2: I can, I can, and you know what I can't believe, Ambassador? How come you know the Somali Americans aren't grabbing Ilhan Omar, who's you know obviously she's tied to Al shabaab whatever? Yeah, right?
11: we we kick her we out. Have I am we don't yes She, we we boo her. I was there. I mean, we did everything. Uh, her power And you know that some people have to know that is Ilhan Omar is the only yeah. three Congress women in American history. And that her primary, she, she won her primary less than 50%. So obviously she's not popular in, uh, because it's the blue district. That's only thing she's there. But her primary...
2: Well, no, it's because elections are rigged, just like they were rigged in Australia. yeah so ba- you know, that's
11: happened yeah, before. Yes, yeah, she, ba- she barely won her, her primary at less than 50%, the lowest percentage in any congressional district in the United States. So basically, and now she's not in any committee, lobby everything. Kevin McCarthy, thank you for kicking her out. That's what she is. And we don't like her. She voted against... Uh, uh, When President Formaji Somali was president, there was a bill that came about uh, President Trump, and it was about uh, relieving uh, national debt in Somali that was there more than 30 years. And all the Republicans voted for her, and she voted no against her own country to relieve a debt. Think about that.
2: Yeah, I know. Well, it's because it's politics. And, you know, what startles me is in Somalia, Turkey has invested a lot of money, as you know, right? And they created schools and everything. I mean, where's Turkey in this, too? So that's a conversation. But, you know, tomorrow, while you're at the State Department, you guys should be saying, you know, what happened? You know, Ilhan Omar, you know, left us out in the open. We didn't have any of this when Trump was there. What is going on? Why are they doing this? These are the questions to attract Americans, you know, to to actually want to be involved, because we're so involved with crazy balloons and trains falling out and, you know, it, it manufactured ecological disasters to put pressure on, you know, more of this water issue that Ali touched upon. Because I've been talking about the water shortage, and it's not a, a, an actual water shortage. It's a, it's a manufactured one. So, you know, they're so it's
1: inundated. Absolutely an artificial you know, yeah, water Yeah, you know, it is.
2: It is. It is. And, you know, it's Nestle. You know, we know. But anyway, so uh, Ambassador Wasami tomorrow, I mean, I I really hope there's a feed. I'll be looking on my Twitter um, to follow along. And anytime you want, I would love to have you on, um, you know, so we can talk about these things. You know, my audience isn't, and that's because of, you know, this cloak of this is all you need to know. And I would stuff, so
11: my heart goes out to you. Yeah. Keep up the good work. Thank you. I'll definitely DM you tomorrow some pictures and uh, images and everything that we're doing then there tomorrow state apartment. Thank you.
2: Fantastic. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Okay. I'll shut up. Again. Uh, yeah. Um, okay. So we are at um... Sir Oliver for sure. He's been there for a while with his
4: snazzy beard. Yes, and then Knife.
0: Well, thank you for having me, but I believe Knife was ahead of me.
10: That's an honorable gentleman right there. Enough respect. Greetings, everybody. Well, I'm, I wanted to bring something up to the uh, uh, gentleman from the UN. I'm, I'm from Zimbabwe, and currently there's a situation where most Zimbabweans are fleeing into South Africa, and when they arrive in, Zimb- in South Africa, they are being stopped from uh, uh, putting forward an application for asylum. So the South African government has created an obstacle to stop these people from going through the proper asylum process and is holding them on these temporary visas, which are uh, uh, permits which are going to then get them deported back again uh, forcefully to Zimbabwe. So I think this is something that we definitely need to, to, to ring the alarm about because I think they're, they're, they're stifling the process of, of, of uh, asylum based on the United uh, Nations Charter for, for Refugees. And I think also the other thing is it's, it's a global thing with, with southern uh, the southern borders in America too. On the day when the United Nations was gathered in New York City, I live like a block away from the UN building, um, we had these uh, uh, immigration officers riding up on horses and corralling migrants carrying babies on their necks who had just traveled for miles and miles and miles. And there was like no statement made by the United Nations about it on the same day while you guys were gathered in in, in the building in New York City. So I'm wondering, like, with these countries that sign on, with these rules that are laid out, clearly laid out, on how they are to deal with displaced people when they arrive at their borders, There's rules and there's guidelines for it. And majority of these countries bend and twist these rules, especially the United States. They will put you through what they call self-deport. You are a migrant who's seeking asylum. They put you through such a complicated process, which is inhumane. I've been through it myself. I starved for almost three and a half years while awaiting for asylum I didn't have papers to, um, uh, to to get a job. And uh, my my bond condition stated that I couldn't be a public t- charge to any U.S. citizens. I couldn't go to a soup kitchen. I couldn't ask for food. I just had to live on air to the point where I go back to the government and say, send me back to, to Zimbabwe, right? So what's the role of the United Nations Charter if all these countries are, are, are bending and twisting these rules and, and creating a, a second a uh, 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 form of, of of PTSD for for for, for you know I'm, I'm I would love I'd like to see why why is it that they can get away with this and 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 there's nothing being done? Immigration officers are not taught anything about human rights. They are um, uh, they have no under, uh, understanding or, or knowledge. So what what's your
1: comment on 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 the? Um, thank you so much, um, brother. One fact, let me clear this to you about myself. Uh, I came into the United States as a refugee and I seeked asylum. I have been arrested by the military of two countries and tortured to the in- most inhuman way that you can possibly imagine. I mean, I, till this date, it's been 10 years. I am not recovered from those injuries myself that I faced during the torture and uh, yes there were the problems with the asylum system in every country but whoever the country have signed the geneva conventions accord of 1951 and they're supposed to give asylum to the people who are claiming asylum and they people countries have different laws and different ways of uh, going about it and uh, and definitely there are countries uh, who are twisting uh, the laws, twisting how the asylum has been given, because UN have a different definition of uh, uh, asylum. The UN uh, Refugee Committee uh, re- if recognizes someone as a refugee who is going through a crisis politically, religiously, or for whatever the reason they are entitled to get the asylum in the country of their choice. They can go to Canada. They can say that here is my letter or a certificate or a document by the UN Refugee Commission stating that I am a, a refugee for these, these these reasons and I want to claim an asylum according to these these, these laws. It also depends on how you are presenting your asylum to the people if you know the rule no one can play with you that's for sure that i can i can tell you that and uh, i can say that the u.s is one of the countries that have most uh, better system more refugee friendly asylum laws that's why the u.s is one of the largest host of refugees and people seeking asylum you, right now uk have the worst uh, asylum laws you go into the UK and you try to claim asylum, they're going to send you, I think, somewhere in Africa. They have now another country that's helping host the the people who are seeking asylum in the UK. They're sending people right away to some different continent. So there are much more horrible things going on with the refugees, and it's it's a huge crisis. It's a large crisis that is needed to be handled efficiently, both by UN and the host countries but the laws are laid very firmly in the 1951 human rights convention of geneva
2: thank you and i, I just wanted to say migration is a natural instinct of people when they want to expand it's not it's, it, it shouldn't be considered a right when entering sovereign nations though having said that when there are migration policies and having worked at many embassies i can tell you those are always politically motivated and I can sense your frustration I myself for two years had a woman you know who had nothing but air I met her by happenstance and I was like hey you know I can pay you if you come over and work and she had steady income and she went through hell to get her papers when she had fled her African nation so I know that uh, that looks more like infiltration so thank you very much and
10: it's yeah, a very um, one, important thing. One, one quick thing um so so just at the davos um at the davos uh, summit the unhcr partnered with a blockchain company and they what they're going to do is they are now going to be able to fund refugees who are in transit wherever you are in the world if you have access to a phone they're going to give you a link where you can like link up to this link and they will fund you directly. Um, They're using USDC uh, token, which is a one-of-one.
2: knife. you're very lucky, because the majority of these migrants that get pulled into these programs end up being used for spare parts, right? So migration has to be done completely transparent. We can't have these policies. What the UN said at Davos, to me, was freaking me out, because this is how you tag human beings and you follow human beings and this is a problem for me you when you migrate if i want to move to tanzania right right now or i want to migrate down to argentina right the way the policies are at the border is i have to apply and they have to say will you be an expense to my nation if you come here right and every nation has the right to ask that so when you see refugees there are processes But they have been so muddled over the past 20 years because, you know, I had a thought today as I was driving back from East Palestine. I thought to myself, you know what, back in the 70s when we used to get on airplanes, so I'm leaving. No, that's not refugee asylum. Refugee asylum is, hey, I whistle blew at my government and this is a problem for me and I need to leave. Please take me in. That is a problem. You know because we're seeing a lot of people using the refugee card right now even at our southern and northern borders and this isn't just in america this is happening globally right and and this is an issue that people don't want to talk about right we're having people going that there's out of 20 people one is an actual refugee 100 percent. again circling back to the comment reform and the only way reform happens is if we take out policies it's almost like donald trump did when he went into to office what did he do avoiding so i'll shut up again guess
6: back. Back, back back again trump is back,
7: back, back. tell a friend, friend, friend. guess back guess back guess Get some stack, get some stack, get some stack, get some stack